Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I was growing up, I I used to go canoeing from time to time with some of my cousins. And I can remember one particular trip. It was just before my first year in high school. We got to my uncle's cabin before the rest of our family was going to arrive. What typically would happen was once everyone was there, we'd get up in the morning, we'd load all the canoes onto the the trailers, and then drive for a while upstream. We'd put into the water, and then we'd canoe our way back to the cabin. But this particular time, we had gotten there a day before, and since we had some time to kill and, and we couldn't drive ourselves, we thought we would just put into the water right there at the cabin. So we got our canoes down into the water, and And we took off downstream. And after about an hour or so, we were quite a distance from where we had started. It was nice and and easy canoeing with the current, canoeing downstream. But the problem was, unfortunately, it was only getting us farther and farther from where we needed to wind up. So we had to turn our canoes around and start paddling back up the river. Well, that was... A little bit more difficult. And while it had taken us just an hour to get to where we were, it took us well over twice that to make our way back up to the dock at the cabin. It didn't help our morale any that all of the other people in the canoes going past us would always shout out to us, hey, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> we knew that. And, and it seemed like it would have been much easier to turn around and, and go down the river downstream still with all the rest of them, but that would not have gotten us where we needed to go. It wouldn't have gotten us back to where we belong. And so we kept on pushing, we kept on fighting, and after a long, hard-fought battle with the, the current in that river, we made it back safely to the cabin, got the canoes back out of the water. Now you might be thinking, that's a neat little story, Vicar, but what does it really have to do with me? And to be honest, not a whole lot. But there are some similarities between that canoe trip and the picture that Peter lays out for us in our, our text today in 1 Peter chapter 4, the picture he gives us of living for God. And what he tells us about living for God, that has actually quite a lot to do with you because he's writing that directly to you. You see, just like paddling a canoe up a, a raging river, living your life for God is not going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle. It's even going to be a battle. And so God tells us that as Christians, we are to be a church at arms. We are to be prepared to fight that battle. There may be times as as we're fighting that battle, as we're struggling to live for God, that we're going to want to just give up, turn around, go with the flow, and go in the same direction that we see everybody else going. That's where the Holy Spirit is going to give us encouragement today through the Apostle Peter not to do that. He says Christians are, are not to give up. We're to be a church at arms, battling through the opposition, not against a, a river of water, but against a world filled with sin. And that instruction for us to take up arms comes in the first verse of our, our scripture text for this morning, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, 
Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. I'm going to read through that passage one more time. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. And by itself, no matter how many times I read through it, that question brings up all kinds of questions in my mind. Like, What attitude is it that we're supposed to be arming ourselves with? How exactly do you arm yourself with an attitude? What is that whole part at the end talking about where it says, whoever has suffered in the body is done with sin? And then, of course, my favorite question, what is the therefore, therefore? And I think if we look back in our Bibles, if you go back five verses, you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We had that verse in our, our message two weeks ago. It's one of the, the sweetest gospel verses in all of Scripture. Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. I think putting our text today in context with that verse really helps shed some light on those questions. Jesus was willing to die, willing to be put to death in order to bring an end to sin once for all. And so therefore, Peter is telling us now, he says, therefore, since Christ had that attitude, take the same attitude, an attitude which is willing to suffer. That's the attitude that we are to arm ourselves with, and that attitude, that willingness to suffer, is going to help us fight the battle of, of living for God. Peter tells us to take the same attitude towards suffering that Jesus had. That doesn't necessarily mean that our suffering is going to be the same as the suffering that Christ had. Jesus suffered more than any of us here can even begin to imagine. When he was crucified on the cross and, and beaten and whipped on that Good Friday, Jesus went through more physical pain than, than probably most of us here have ever experienced in our lives. But there have been some people that have gone through even greater pain than that. When Jesus was alive, hundreds of people were being crucified Every year, there wasn't any particularly special pain. Jesus went through that night and the night before it some emotional pain as the disciples left him, deserted him, as one of his own most dearly beloved friends handed him over to be executed. That might be a little bit more emotional sorrow than most of us have felt as well, but there are people in this world that have been betrayed by friends and loved ones and, and left out to dry by the ones that they thought were close to them. But there's not a single one of us here who has ever gone through the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross. As he was separated from and completely rejected by God. 
And while that separation from and rejection by God is the payment that that many will suffer for their sins, Jesus went through that, not for anything he had done, but because of the sins of, of somebody else. Jesus suffered hell on the cross because of your sins and because of mine. That's a suffering that none of us will ever experience. Our, our suffering doesn't even begin to compare to the suffering Christ went through for us. And the result of our suffering is not going to be the same either. Because Jesus' suffering had the result of, of paying for all the sins of the world. Every fault you have ever committed was forgiven by his suffering. When he said the words on the cross, it is finished. Just before he gave up his life into the Father's hands, he said those because he knew that he was done with sin. The payment was complete, and Jesus knew he would never be dealing with sin again. It was over. No amount of suffering that any of us here will ever go through has the power to do that. It gives us the power to say it it is finished. Because unlike Jesus, we are not perfect. We've broken God's laws. We haven't kept His commandments. And so our suffering doesn't even have the power. Our life doesn't even have the merit to, to take away our own sins, much less to, to pay for the sins of an entire world. Now our sins can't atone for sins. Our Suffering can't atone for sins. That was done by Christ and Christ alone. But what our suffering can do is help to restore our focus on God. As we suffer, and this isn't just any kind of suffering, this isn't I stubbed my toe or I got a chest cold. This is suffering that we face because we are Christians. When you suffer as Christians, it helps point you back to God. It helps you to overcome the temptation to sin. We have to understand that when we talk about suffering, when we talk about Jesus' suffering, it had two purposes. The number one purpose of Christ's suffering was that atonement, that salvation, forgiving all of our sins. But the secondary purpose of his suffering was to set an example for us as Christians. You can be sure that, that just as certainly as Jesus suffered and died on the cross, so too we as Christians will suffer if we're going to follow him. And that suffering reminds us that we are weak. It reminds us that by ourselves, we're helpless, we're hopeless. And we need to cling to God. Cling to the one who is strong, the one who gives us strength, the one who has the power to help us overcome the temptations of our sinful flesh. And it's usually going to be at times when, when we aren't suffering at all that those temptations will hit us the hardest. Because when things are going well in life, we have the time and, and the opportunity to start feeding those base desires of our, our sinful human flesh. So this might sound a little strange, but perhaps what we ought to do in, in times like that 
is actually pray to God to send us a little suffering. And yeah, you, d- you didn't hear me wrong. There may be times in our lives when the best thing for us to do is to pray to God to send us suffering. Suffering which reminds us that we are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And that we walk in those steps whether things are going well or not. That suffering gives us a reason to rely on God instead of just relying on ourselves. Because if everything was always going great in our lives, we might start to to question whether we really need God to be a part of it at all. If we start asking ourselves those kinds of questions, then odds are we're not really living for God. People that don't live for God, people that just live to, for themselves to please themselves, don't run into a whole lot of suffering and, and opposition in this world. Because in the eyes of this world, success and happiness are determined by being able to do whatever it is you want to do with your life. Peter gives us the example in that list of sins of exorbitant eating and drinking, just freely giving in to your, your lusts and sexual desires with all kinds of, of immorality and idolatry. According to the world, that's what life is all about. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And you know what? That kind of life would be easy. And as a matter of fact, that kind of life would feel pretty good. But that isn't what living for God is all about. Peter tells us this morning that we've done enough. We've spent enough time in our lives doing things like that. Whether you're a a lifetime Christian baptized the day after you were born, or whether you've just recently come into the Christian church, each of us has spent a significant portion of our lives doing just this. Living to to satisfy ourselves. Living out of our own selfish desires, trying to get out of life everything that we can for our own benefit. But that's it. God tells us, that's enough. He says, you're not living life for yourselves anymore. I I have claimed you. I have purchased you. I have bought you. I have adopted you into my family. And you're living life for me now. Living life for God means that we're going to have to to trade in all those sinful, worldly desires and live according to the will of God instead. And that means, brothers and sisters, that means suffering. It means suffering because the people around us, whether they're strangers or acquaintances, friends, family, neighbors, whoever they may be, they're not going to understand the choices that you make in your life as you live for God. I can remember one of the first times I went to a a big shopping center with my mom. We had a shopping mall in the town where I grew up, but it was, it was just a one-story deal, and you could just walk around to everything you needed to get to. But this, this big shopping center had this magically wonderful thing called an escalator. 
And there is no greater challenge in the mind of a young boy than running up a down escalator. And I, I always wanted to do it. I thought it would be the greatest thing, but my mom was always sitting there holding me back. She said, you know, people just, they don't do that. They don't go up the down escalator. Well, there's a pastor in our, in our church body who I once heard compare that challenge of running up a down escalator to the challenge of Christian living. And really, if there was nobody else on the escalator, it wouldn't be all that difficult for, us to, for someone to just quickly run up to the top. Take a little longer than going up a normal staircase. But when that escalator is packed with people who are coming down, if someone was to try and run up, particularly a, a little boy, it wouldn't take long before everyone on that moving staircase got, got pretty annoyed. And they'd start telling him off and trying to get him turned around and, and heading back in the right direction. Because him going the wrong way would be an inconvenience to them. They'd want to get him to stop. Kind of the same pushback that we feel a lot of the times as we try to live a God-pleasing life. The world sees it as, as an inconvenience to them. They're going to push back and try to get us to stop. That's when you have to take up arms. It's when you have to arm yourself with the attitude, the presence of mind that, that says, I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to accept this pushback because I know that Christ also was willing to suffer. The early Christians in Pontus, Cappadocia, Bithynia, and Galatia, and the other churches to which Peter was writing this, this letter of 1 Peter, they were receiving so much pushback and experiencing so much suffering in their lives that they had actually started to think that maybe they were going in the wrong direction. They were actually beginning to, to contemplate, to question whether they may have fallen from God's grace. Because they thought to themselves, we have to be doing this Christian thing wrong. There's no way that, that being a Christian should ever be this hard. And I don't know about you, but I know I've, I've felt the same thing sometimes in my life. Are, are you serious, God? If I'm, if I'm really going about this right, then how come everything else can be going so wrong? And that's when God comes to us in His Word like He does in our message this morning. And He says, hey, hang in there. You got this. Because I got this. He gives us the strength that we need to keep on going. He points us to Jesus who also suffered. He shows us that if you're feeling that resistance in your life, then you're going at it right. He gives us the encouragement that we need to keep on going. He gives us that attitude which is willing to suffer. Now I could say, Amen, right about here. And I think you'd all go home 
thinking, that was a, a bit of a downer sermon today. <laughs> is that, I mean, is that really it? Is that all that we have to look forward to as Christians is, is suffering? And I think you know that's not the case. We get to verses 5 and 6 from our, from our text talks about the last day when God will come to judge the world. And Peter tells us that everyone, both living and dead, will be called to account based on the actions of their lives. And the people that that chose to go with the flow, that took the easy, feel-good path, all they have in store is suffering. Life up till that point may have been nice, easy, and convenient, but their judgment on the last day is going to be an eternity of suffering in the fire of hell. God tells us that is why the gospel has been preached. That's why the gospel was enacted in the first place, because without the gospel, without the salvation work of Jesus our Savior, that fate of an eternity of suffering would be what's in store for each and every one of us here. But Jesus did die on the cross. He has taken away your sins. You have heard the gospel, and through the grace of our God and the power of the Holy Spirit, He has created faith in you which which clings to that gospel message, which clings to the cross, the cross of life. So we don't have to fear the death. We don't have to fear suffering because we have a Savior who suffered and died for us. And in doing so, he defeated suffering and death. If you look around this world, you might think, well, suffering and death are still here. So why is that? It's to focus us on God. To keep us longing for the day when when that suffering and death will be gone forever. To give us a reason to rely on God a reason to, to put ourselves off and, and hold on to the one who has the power to get us through it. Earlier, I had mentioned that we can be sure that, that just as certainly as Jesus suffered on the cross, we too, as we follow him, are going to suffer. But God gives us an additional promise in his word. He says that certainly as Jesus was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too will live a new life. You and I will be raised with a a glorious body and given a life in a world where living for God, living according to His will, is going with the flow. No longer a, a church at arms. We will be a church at peace. That's the promise of our God. That promise is yours through our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to that, I will say, Amen. Now may that peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, guard your hearts and your minds until life everlasting. Amen.